0: Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In season three, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on Resilience is physician and author, Dr. Tiffany Tate Moore. As Tiffany states, I still have issues with abandonment as an adult, and as a kid, I turned to my education because I figured, well, maybe if I was smart enough, my mom would love me more than she loved drugs. And I think that it helped me because it helped me become a physician, because I turned into essentially an academic student. And as far as the big aha moment to where I realized, well, maybe it's not them, Maybe it's me.
1: My name is Dr. Tiffany Tate-Moore, and it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. I am a board-certified OBGYN. I am medically retired due to an injury I sustained, but I have worked hard to become resilient and to reinvent myself. I am also a veteran officer of the United States Navy. I served with the Seabees in Ventura County during the global war on terrorism, during Operation Enduring Freedom. I trained at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, where I trained in obstetrics and gynecology. I graduated from the Harry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee, and I did my undergraduate work at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Go Gauchos. I'm originally
0: from Compton, California. Excellent, Tiffany. Well, thank you so much for being here. You and I connected because you were so kind to contribute to my interview series, Rising Through Resilience, how to be resilient during turbulent times. And what I really loved is this aspect of faith over fear, um, and how you spoke about, the insurmountable sort of obstacles in, in your life. How has that shaped who you are today? I believe
1: that if I didn't have my faith, I surely would not be where I am today. Because statistically speaking, both of my parents were on drugs. And basically, theoretically, I should be on drugs too, (laughs) because you are a product of your environment. But I was blessed at the age of two to be raised by my aunt, but she was my mother's sister. So I was still around my mother throughout the holidays and summers and weekends. So I still witnessed drugs and I've still watched my mother use drugs and she was with me for weekends and holidays and summer vacations. And that t- actually taught me what not to do because she was an example of what not to do. And I think that my faith in God help motivate me and encourage me and strengthen me and it's amazing because my family were good people but we weren't church people (laughs) and we were the people that occasionally went to church we were the holiday church people easter and christmas you know that twice a year type of folk (laughs) and so i just think that my I can't say it was an accident because I don't believe that God lets anything happen by accident. But I actually met God at a park because, you know, you never know how church outreach actually works. But this church was having like a mime performance or an outreach performance. And they were having a church ceremony at a park and I was on a playground. And that was how I was introduced to God.
0: You know, you spoke very candidly about you being an OBGYN and you working at the emergency room and this aspect of someone requesting another doctor because of your the color of your skin. How did that incident shape who you are?
1: I thought that it was offending, but they have a right to how they feel. And I spoke candidly because this was in Tennessee and they have a right to how they feel but the reality was we were kind of in the middle of nowhere and i was the only provider there and it was either me or die his partner was bleeding into her belly and she had a ruptured you know a ruptured ectopic pregnancy this is a pregnancy that was supposed to be in the uterus but it was in her fallopian tube her fallopian tube had ruptured And you had all this blood just rupturing and pouring into her abdomen because that was her reality. And so she was getting pale. Her blood pressure was dropping. And I was very candid. These are the steps that need to be taken. If you want to leave, it will be against medical advice. You will sign a waiver that will leave me legally free because I am offering you surgery. So I can do surgery. I can save her life. Because if you leave, it will be, again, against medical advice. That means you cannot sue the hospital and you cannot sue me if you leave and she dies while you are in transit trying to get to another facility. There is no other doctor that you can call that's going to come into this facility. I'm the only surgeon. I'm the only OBGYN that is here who can take care of her. And so she said, I want the surgery and it was amazing because i was able to to perform surgery i was able to save her life and after the surgery she was very grateful she was very thankful and he came over to me after you know his initial transaction with me and i think she made him say thank you because she was grateful to be alive and we were able to overcome some of his racist beliefs because I believe that prejudice and racism, it's a choice. No one's raised that way. You choose to feel that way. And I believe that one step at a time, we can combat some of those feelings. You don't have to like me. You just have to accept me and work with me. I'm not asking you to hang out with me, go with me to the movies but let's just agree to get along. And it's really sad because as a female physician, it's hard. In the hospitals, you're treated differently than your male counterparts. And as a black female physician, it's even harder because you walk into the room they're like oh are you here to take my order for your food so they assume you work with you know hospitality they assume you're there to take their food order or they assume you're with the janitorial service they're like can you take out my trash and you're like no i'm the physician you have on the white coat you have on the badge you have everything that says you're the doctor but it's hard for them to register that this black female is my physician and even though you're telling them I'm the doctor. Sometimes it's really hard for it to click because they have all these internal biases. So you have all these strikes against you and it's just an uphill climb. But I think if, as long as we keep communicating and we keep working, we can continue to shadow the stereotypes that are out there.
0: Yeah. You know, two of the main points that I got from that story, thank you for sharing, uh, is your surgical and medical experience can allow people, as you mentioned in the article, to be better people if they want to be. So the choice is there in order to act or react. Mm -mm. Absolutely. You also decided to write a book of (laughs) homes. Could you give us more context on, on that experience?
1: It was after I was told that I was going to be medically retired. I fell into a depression and I began to eat (laughs) and I put on like 50 pounds and I had a pity party and the spirit of the Lord was like, okay, Tiffany, snap out of it. Think about all of the things I've brought you out of. You are not your profession. You are more than that. So think about everything that I've done for you and celebrate me. So I began to write and this was a way for me to encourage myself. And I started to share some of my poetry with a few family and friends. And they said, Tiffany, you should share this with other people. You should publish this. And I was like, no, I'm not a poet. And they said, no, seriously, this could help other people. You should publish this. And again, I said, no, I am not a poet. I'm a doctor. And they were like, but you're retired. You can be more than that. And I was kind of stubborn. I was adamant, no. (laughs) Eventually, I shared it with two publishers, and both publishers were interested. So I was like, hmm, okay, maybe there's something to this. So I eventually said yes to the publishers, and I did decide to publish it. And on another note, I have since written a children's book to encourage children to identify and report child abuse. And that is gonna come out later this year and it's called Bad Touching. And it's kind of like a poetic children's story. So I'm hoping that I can still be useful just in another way because as a physician, I always knew I was making a difference in people's lives. And I just wanna make sure that my life isn't in vain and I want to continue to feel useful
0: you spoke about the support of your mom and how she was a child of 12 kids. Uh, How did her experience influence your life? My mother, even though she
1: struggled with drug addiction, she was the epitome of resilience. It took her a couple of decades, but she eventually overcame her addiction. She gave her life to Christ. She became an usher at her church. It was beautiful. She was eventually diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. We had a great relationship. And when she died, I was sitting at her bedside and I sang to her holding her hand as she transitioned. And it was a beautiful thing because our relationship changed. And it wasn't, it was difficult, I must add, because it was hard. Because I had to go from the child who was angry when God was like, okay, you have to take care of your mother. I had to move her into my house. And I was like, Lord, you're kidding me. You want me to take care of the woman who wasn't there to take care of me? And so I had to work out some issues about forgiveness and really living God's word and applying it. It was initially a struggle, but I did get over it. I was forced to get over it because I'm an only child. And I just had to walk the walk, essentially. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. I took her and her six, uh, her five sisters because it was seven of us, I was the seventh, to Hawaii. And it was hard. It was really hard because she had a brain met. And while we were in Hawaii, she she developed brain metastasis and she woke up and she couldn't walk. And so it was very emotional. It was a struggle. But in the end, our relationship was so beautiful and it was so genuine. And if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing because it really made me who I am today.
0: Also touched on the support from your grandmother and from your uncle who basically was a role model for you in terms of academic, what influence can you say um, their life had on all these struggles that you've gone through?
1: It would say, I would say my uncle, as well as my Auntie May, who raised me. My uncle, he was a professor at Compton Community College. And he always encouraged me to participate in summer programs, because he saw that I really loved education and he knew about different summer programs. And so he was like, okay, you wanna go to this summer program, you wanna go to that summer program. And I used to participate in a program called Nesbe, the National Society of Black Engineers at Cal State Long Beach. And so it was always a good opportunity For me to get involved and to encourage and nurture that interest in math and science. And I just kind of flourished there. Now, my Auntie May, the one who I actually lived with, who had two children of her own, (coughs) she was just so loving and encouraging. And it was always funny because when she would come home, she would be like, where's all the food at? That I couldn't tell her that I'd given it away to all the other kids in the community because, you know, that was my little secret. <laughs> and my grandmother, she was my protector. She kept me from getting in trouble. And because <laughs> I can say that I wasn't a bad kid, but I was a mischievous kid. I was always getting into things. Like one time I took apart the toaster because I wanted to see how it worked. And so that meant that we didn't have a toaster because I kind of took it apart because I wanted to see how it worked. And so she wouldn't let anyone kind of discipline me. And she was my protector, she was my angel. And so my grandmother just had lots of love for me.
0: So Tiffany, want to come back to the core conversation today. How do you define resilience?
1: I define resilience as way to persevere the way to endure and the way to just not give up because it's okay to fall down and it's okay to not succeed and i believe that society has this misconception that if you don't make it you've not made it and that's not true and i believe like in the article i said failure is not truly failure. Failure is a first attempt in learning. And if there's a first attempt, there can be a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Numbers are infinite. And if numbers are infinite, attempts are infinite. And you can continue to try as long as there's breath in your body. And so when you continue to persevere and you continue to try, you can always put and take one step in front of the other And I believe resilience is your ability to get back up and continue to move forward and believe in yourself.
0: In that article, I asked a very curious question about resilience and courage, whether or not they are one and the same or they are different. How do you perceive the two? I
1: believe that courage is your thought process and it's what you think and how you feel, but more resilience is your actions and your ability to actually do and put into practice that thought or that feeling. So they go hand in hand, but there's a difference in the two. And I believe they feed off of one another and you need both of them, but courage is more in the mind and in the heart, but resilience is in the action. And so you want to just use both to move forward.
0: Yeah, I think you likened it courage is showing up in the face of a circumstance and Mm -hmm. you might not know what the expected outcome might be. I just love the visual of that because often most people think that you can just get there and courage is about believing. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely.
0: There was also a question in the article that I asked about, has anyone ever said something that you've done or that you've tried to attempt to that was considered impossible. And you spoke so much about just your own struggles, like with the disability and you still carry on with these marathons. I would love more context into that.
1: Oh, absolutely. My body is special. It's definitely not fully able. I, I don't want to call myself disabled. i like to say differently able. <laughs> I have bilateral knee issues, a right hip issues, chronic back pain. In fact, over the past month, I've had three steroid joint shots, one in my left knee, one in my right knee, and one in my right hip. And my family has always told me, you can't do half marathons. You're broken. And I'm like, okay, I will show you. And after I had my surgeries, they were like, oh, you're never going to do any more again. And I was like, oh yeah, I will show you. And in September of 2021, I did the Mount Rushmore half marathon. So not any half marathon, one of the hardest half marathons. Mount Rushmore is uphill, definitely difficult. And I went there all by myself, nobody to cheer me on, nobody to support me. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. I had my, I didn't even have my earphones on because I forgot them in the room. So I sang to myself, I cheered myself on. I was my own cheerleader and it was a good thing. I prayed my way through and I was thinking, oh my goodness, were they right? I, I had to talk myself through it, but it was a challenge and i know that sometimes people will get in your head and they will always tell you you can't do it and it can be painful and it can be challenging and it can be hard but the point is if you believe in yourself and you put your mind to it you can do anything and the bible says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me not some not a few but all and that verse helped get me through because with chronic knee pain, uh, chronic hip pain, and chronic back problems. I should not have been able to do that in the world's eyes. But in my eyes, I could. And I've done over 20 half-marathons. I don't run them. I speed walk them. And I average about 15, 16 minutes a mile. And so if I can do it, I believe you can too.
0: This. Makes me think so clearly about the idea of setbacks and how you were what society would consider the pinnacle of a career. You were a doctor, you were OBGYN, and how you wrestled with this, with those feelings of just devastation. What was the light that allowed you to continue forward? It was really hard because I
1: had just become a partner physician. I thought I had made it. I was like, okay, Lord, I am in my groove. I hit my stride. And when I fell, I was like, okay. I was in uh, braces on both ankles, both knees and both wrists. I had steroid shots in all those joints for two years. And then I Mm -hmm. underwent six surgeries. And after I did that and my recovery and I ended up with a right wrist that wouldn't work and they told me I was going to be medically retired, I was absolutely devastated. And I just couldn't believe that God would take away my career. And I was just floored. But when God was like, you are more than your profession. And I was like, okay, when God closes the door, he opens a window. And I had to realize that this is not the end of my life, and there has to be more for me. And there were other things that I wanted to do in my life. I didn't know what avenue I would take, but I said, okay, I will shake this off, put one foot in front of the other, and I will figure it out. And I'm still figuring it out. I still don't consider myself a poet, even though I'm writing. (laughs) And I'm just going to keep moving forward. I will continue to write, and we will see where it leads me. We will see where it takes me. When I was a kid, I thought about becoming a singer. I thought about becoming an actress. And who knows, maybe you'll see me doing one of those things in the future. But until then, I will continue to write
0: the world in general speaks about cultivating resilience and how you mentioned in the article about finding God and how you felt for a long time about these issues or feelings about abandonment and how you're so clear in your language about that your parents loved drugs more than they loved you. What was the the big aha moment for you?
1: I still have issues with abandonment as an adult. And as a kid, I turned to my education because I figured, well, maybe if I was smart enough, my mom would love me more than she loved drugs. So I used that energy to propel myself. And I think that it helped me because it helped me become a physician because I turned into essentially um, an academic student. And as far as that big aha moment to where I realized, well, maybe it's not them, maybe it's me. I can't necessarily say I've had it. I think maybe as a physician, when I started my psychology rotation and I, understood the disease process and understood people, I probably had it then and I began to understand my issues with abandonment and realizing how psychology works. That was probably my aha moment and I was able to identify, oh, I have some psychological issues and I have some unresolved issues from childhood. And I think that that helped me. And as an adult, seeing a therapist to help me work through some of those issues was probably my aha moment. But as a child, I never had that aha moment, sadly.
0: So Tiffany, what are your five steps that someone can take to be more resilient?
1: So my five steps that someone can take to be more resilient, I'm going to look at my notes because I want to make sure I get them right. I believe that you need to not be afraid to fail, as I said before, because failure stands for first attempt in learning and we learn from our failures and it will help them improve in their subsequent attempts. The second is to always be kind to yourself because a lot of times we're kind to everyone else and we have no sympathy for our own selves. And I know that when I was unable to return to work, I felt useless and we should never lack sympathy for ourselves. And I had to learn to show myself some compassion. And I think it's important to show ourselves some self-compassion. Number three, I think it's important to exercise faith over fear. It is so, so important. Sometimes the odds of something seems insurmountable and that, uh, that can be very fearful, but do not let that stop you. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so, like I said, for me to become a physician, it was impractical. For me to become a physician, Having two drug-addicted parents, not likely, not probable. But here I am, a board-certified OBGYN, a surgeon. That's a very hard physician uh, to become. So you can do anything you put your mind to, and you can do anything, especially if God is behind you. Number four, accept your mistakes. Too often we think that the world is over because we made a mistake. Mistakes happen, life goes on. Another day comes and it's okay. A key to resilience is understanding that you are not your mistakes and that tomorrow brings a new day and a fresh opportunity to start anew. So keep on pushing and keep on moving. Number five, never give up. As long as there is breath in your body, you have an opportunity to start afresh and start anew.
0: Lovely, lovely. So now I would love to transition into what I call the brainstorming, where I asked a question about if you could create a movement, what, what would that be? And you were very clear in this idea of a vaccination um, adherence and rollout. I would just love to kind of talk about it and how maybe we can move the needle a little further within the barriers that people are having when it comes to vaccinations?
1: Yes, I know right now there's this movement where they're saying, take your mask off and do all these other things. But the reality is the virus is still active and alive. And now we have almost a million Americans who have died from the virus. People are still dying. And I know people are scared of getting the vaccine, They don't need to be afraid. Think about all the other vaccines you've had before. Measles, mumps, rubella. All of those things were once new. And I think that eventually COVID is going to become like the flu. Eventually we will get there. It is something that you'll probably need to take on a regular basis. The influenza pandemic was something like the COVID pandemic. It's something that's going to be with us. I don't believe it's going to go away. I think that we really need to accept it and become accustomed to it and get the vaccine. And we'll probably have to get the vaccine on a regular basis. I believe that eventually we will get to the point where we have herd immunity. We are not there yet. So I think we need to continue to practice safe care of ourselves and use our hand sanitizer and frequent hand washing and get the
0: vaccine. Yeah. I think for me, when I think about this aspect, um, so as you may or may not know, I'm a a stage three cancer survivor. Uh, I attribute my cancer healing process to both extremes. I did mainstream medicine, which is chemo, and I did a whole bunch of integrated modalities. Um, For me, it it worked and I was able to speed up my healing. Uh, I I, uh, got diagnosed in July of 2014. I was uh, considered remission in December of 2014, the same year. And I often find when it comes to the vaccines, there's one extreme of complete conspiracy theory and there's the other extreme of just medical science. I just don't know why we can't just have a healthy debate that can be televised about legitimate things, not on the extreme end. And I think that would just open up a conversation because I think people are just yearning for information. And when someone tells you to do something, you're not really going to do it until you kind of discover it for yourself or that there becomes a aha moment. So I just, I would love some type of a really open conversation or debate about it, because I think that would allow people to think for themselves.
1: I agree. I agree. I think that the vaccine has been over-politicized and it has been criminalized. And it's just a vaccine. And it's so unfortunate because it's crazy. And, you know, the administration that created the vaccine turned around and demonized the vaccine after it took the vaccine itself, which I think is hilarious. And then it wanted credit for the vaccine, which is again, hilarious. So I agree, an open debate about the vaccine would be great. And I would encourage that. I would even be willing to sit on a panel for that because it's just, crazy and nonsensical. A vaccine that could help save people's lives because we have had too many unnecessary deaths. And these are deaths of people who wanted the vaccine on their dying bed, but at that time it was too late. And they died unnecessarily. The people who are dying now are the unvaccinated. And they are wishing that they had taken the vaccine. And it literally is too little, too late. Now, the people who are getting sick and recovering are the vaccinated. So the people who refuse the vaccine, they can refuse it, but it's going to be to their own detriment.
0: Well, Dr. Tiffany Tate-Moore, thank you so much for joining me. Please tell my listeners and viewers where they can find out more information about you uh, and everything else you're working on. You
1: can find out more information about me on my Instagram page at Dr. Tiffany Tate Moore and on my Facebook page at Dr. Tiffany Tate Moore.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tiffany. This was great. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me. And my superpower is joy.
0: Wonderful. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, well, you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there my friends and get busy living.